Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So I want to thank you again for uh, joining us in this class. Alhamdulillah, it just is a, a wonderful opportunity by which we're able to go through the seerah, right? As the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminded us in the Quran that the Prophet وسلم, is khuluqul adhim. He's the best of creation, right? And in the Messenger of Allah, you have uswatid hasana. You have the best example, right? You have one who is the most exalted of character. And so that example of the one who is an exalted character, we find that in the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so as we look at subhanAllah, this transition of this next phase of his life, right? The next phase of the mission of the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam, we talked last week about uh, the assassination attempt, right, on his life. Uh, as subhanAllah, there was a, a plan as the Quraysh were planning, the Messenger of Allah and the family of Abu Bakr and Ali ibn Abi Talib were also planning, subhanAllah. And uh, as they're planning that this is their moment, that he's alone and he's vulnerable, they're planning the escape. And Allah caused the Messenger of Allah to be successful that they are the ones who were miraculously uh, saved and rescued by Allah. And so the Prophet وسلم, uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib takes the place as the Prophet escapes. They uh, immediately you know, imprison Ali just for a day, uh, questioning him, subhanAllah. Uh, and of course he doesn't give up the messenger of Allah. They run to the cave of Thor, right? They, they go to Jabal Thor, which is where they hide in the Messenger of Allah is with Abu Bakr Siddiq as they're hiding in that cave. And the beautiful story, as we know, is when uh, the spider, right, the famous spider, as well as the bird comes and makes a nest right on the edge, veiling the Prophet and Abu Bakr Siddiq from his enemies, right? And so subhanAllah, as they're actually, so that's where we left off, uh, I think that's where we left off at the end of last week. But as they're exiting the cave, there is a soldier who is approaching the messenger of Allah, and he is uh, literally like, I have found him, I have found Muhammad, I have found Muhammad. And he is feeling a sense of victory, like he's going to be the one who captures or kills the messenger of Allah, but subhanAllah, uh, the, the, another miracle occurs that as he approaches the Prophet on his camel, his camel stops, right? And he literally uh, begins to feel a deep sense, right? A deep sense of fear. His heart begins to shake. That initially where he felt that confidence that he was going to harm the Messenger of Allah as he became closer and, and, and felt the presence of the Messenger of Allah as well as his the, the the strength of his spirit and his soul, he immediately right his heart begins to pound and he feels a deep sense of fear. And so, how, what happens is he begins to sink. There are multiple narrations that he and the camel actually begin to sink in the sand 
right as he thought that he's he's right close to the messenger of Allah. He begins to sink like quicksand. And the messenger of Allah raises his hands, right? And makes dua for him. And as he's making that dua, Asri is, is rising out of the sand, subhanAllah. And the, he is rescued, right? He comes to attack the messenger of Allah, and the messenger of Allah actually saves him and rescues him from his own self, right? And of course, later he becomes Muslim, but in that moment, he leaves and, and does not mention to any of the soldiers that he has seen the messenger of Allah and they continue on their journey and when they subhanallah uh, reach right at the outskirts of Medina there are the companions who climbed up high trees to welcome them there are a group of young women who are singing that famous song so just their love has spilled over onto their tongues as they sing to welcome the messenger of Allah into Medina subhanallah and as they welcome the messenger of Allah and he dismounts and he prays to Raka'at he comes and he just gives them the first thing right the first opening address which is spread the salam and feed people Right. And so from this beginning, it becomes very clear, you know, that this is a new day inside of Medina. It said that when the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when he arrived into Medina, it was as if the sun lit up, as if everything lit up in Medina, right? That it went from Yathrib, there's a famous poet, uh, a couplet of poetry, uh, even by Narah Khan, where he sings like how Yathrib became Medina to Munawwara, right? How the Yathrib is like is like a rocky, there's a difficult place, a difficult terrain, right? But how Yathrib became Tayyuba, the city of, of Khaya, the city of goodness, and Medina to Munawwara, the city of lights, right? The city of lights. And it becomes the city of lights that we love so much because of the messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu wasalam, because Siraj and Munir, which is one of the names of the messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu wasalam, enters into Medina. And he first stays in the home of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, who is currently uh, buried in Turkey, in Istanbul. And we mentioned before how just the shyness of that, you know, existed between uh, with Ayub Ansari and his wife, how they were walking. They, they tell the Prophet to please uh, stay upstairs and he refuses. And so uh, the Prophet stays downstairs, but Ayub Ansari cannot fathom, he cannot take it, his heart cannot take, he can't bear the thought that he's walking on top right, of the messenger of Allah, and so they're literally walking on the edges of the home, and when they need something from the middle, they're laying down on the floor and reaching it and getting it until they convince the messenger of Allah, out of their love and their respect and their humility and their haiba for the messenger of Allah, please for him to move upstairs, and that is exactly what the messenger of Allah, did in order uh, to make it easier for him. And now the guests, subhanAllah, are visiting uh, upstairs. And subhanAllah, not at this particular time, it's just the messenger of Allah who's in the home, but eventually his family joins him, right? That each one of them have already actually migrated previously before that uh, to Medina. At this point, Aisha, 
and the Ain is already in Medina, Fatima Zahra, as well as the other daughters of the Prophet they've actually already migrated into Medina. Fatima Zahra is actually being cared for uh, the, by the, um, the Prophet's wife, forgive me, uh, the Prophet's wife, Soda, at the time, who is living in Medina. She's uh, Soda is taking care of Fatima Zahra in another home, right, in a small home already in Yathrib at the time, in uh, the new city of Medina. Aisha actually does not join the Messenger of Allah in, in her own home until a actually a few years later. She joins uh, the family of Abu Bakr. She joins with the family of, of her mother and her father, Umm Ramna, but she doesn't actually come to the home of the Messenger of Allah until years later. And so, subhanAllah, these beginning, uh, you know, these beginning months are of two types. Uh, the first thing is, is that they, of course, are in the process of building the Masjid, Masjid al-Quba. And Masjid al-Quba uh, still, subhanAllah, remains standing until today. Actually, it's a very large and beautiful Masjid inside of Medina. And it's known that if you go to Masjid al-Quba, which is actually right in front. Masjid al-Quba is positioned uh, right in front of that farm area where the Messenger of Allah was received by uh, his companions, by those of Medina, and where he and Abu Bakr uh, prayed to Raka'at, and actually where they first stayed, where they slept that first um that first, those first three nights when they arrived inside Medina, that's all actually still preserved and intact. Alhamdulillah, um, we were recently able to visit that particular farm and sing, you know, sing Nasheed and Salawat on the Prophet وسلم, uh, And so Masjid al-Quba, which took seven months to build, is directly in front of it. And Masjid al-Quba uh, is known that whoever prays two raka'at in Masjid al-Quba will have the reward as if they uh, made an umrah, right? The reward of praying two raka'at in Masjid al-Quba is the reward, uh, subhanAllah, as the same as if you made umrah. And this is so significant because, of course, this speaks to the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal, because there were many, right, past and present, uh, who were actually not able to make, to, they wouldn't be able to afford uh, the trip to Umrah, because then and now, uh, it takes quite a bit of preparation, quite a bit of funding, uh, quite a bit of funding, even up front, that you'd have to be able to Take, have enough to take care of your family while in, in one's absence, right, during the time that they're gone. And to in at that time, you know, they're not coming on, on planes and trains and automobiles as it is today that people are arriving into Mecca and Medina by plane. Even now they have a bullet train uh, that goes from Mecca, that goes from Jeddah to Mecca to Medina. And this was not the case before that they're doing this literally on horseback or on camelback or with a donkey or a mule. And so uh, this would take long, this would take a very long journey, weeks, sometimes months going back and forth to actually travel for Umrah or for Hajj. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his infinite mercy for those even who were in Yathrib who found it very difficult to be able to make that journey even to Mecca uh, because of the terrain, because of possibly their health uh, or their age, or again, because of their finances, they weren't able to uh, 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed, you know, like, like Masjid al-Quba, as well as other blessings that are given to the Ummah of the Prophet Muhammad as a means to attain that same barakah, right? even if they don't have the economic status. So literally what Allah Azawajal did was he brought a portion, right? He brought a portion of the blessing of Mecca, right? To Medina. He brought it to Medina because if you prayed in, in Masjid al-Quba, just two raka'at, Allah is gonna give you the reward as if you made Umrah. And to make Umrah is that you've made tawaf around the Kaaba as well as to make sa'i inside of Mecca. All right, but Allah is saying he literally brought Mecca to Medina. Because of course, the uh, the political hardship, right? As well as it wasn't at this particular time, the Muslims could not easily return to Mecca because of the persecution. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala understanding that they had made a greater migration, that they had made uh, the greater migration was toward Allah and toward his messenger. And because of their sacrifice and because of their hard work, right? And because of their love, even when the Prophet left Mecca, he left with such a heavy heart. As a matter of fact, the dua, subhanAllah, that the Prophet makes when he's leaving Mecca, it literally shakes the mountains where the messenger of Allah is crying as he's leaving Mecca and he says if it weren't right if it weren't for the fact that they're forcing me if it wasn't because of their incessant persecution if it wasn't because they were throwing me out right and if it wasn't because of you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for what he's going to build in Medina he said I would never leave you O Mecca right he literally gives kind of like this love ode to Mecca Right, knowing that this is the this is the home of his grandfather, and this is the home where his great grandfather, you know, great great grandfather, Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail, where they established, right? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam uh, is loves the Kaaba and has a deep connection with the, with the Kaaba, and does not wish to leave Subhanallah uh, Mecca, but Allah subhanahu wa taala has knows what he's going to build, how he's going to stretch out, right? And expand the land, expand the blessing of the land that that Mecca is safe, that Mecca is already consecrated. Mecca is sacred ground. It's sanctified. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is literally going to consecrate and he's going to make a haram right out of Medina. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And what makes that place one of the haram, right? One of the places that Allah says for one prayer, you're going to get 10 inside Masjid al-Nabawi, inside of the Masjid of the Prophet, you're going to get uh, for what, two raka'at only, you're going to get the reward of it in uh, in, in Quba, in Masjid al-Quba. What is it about it, right? That, you, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is blessing it. This also speaks to the barakah of the Prophet Muhammad that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored these places also because of what, how he has honored the messenger of Allah and his ummah.
right? And his ummah, that Allah and in his infinite kindness and infinite wisdom uh, honors the, this beloved city and makes it beloved to us, right? Makes it so beloved to us for us to be able to be in physical proximity to the Prophet Muhammad and right and subhanallah it doesn't stop there it doesn't stop there that inside masjid al-nabawi where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's uh you know let's say his resting place is on earth his resting place in dunya where it is and his membar right when they build masjid al-nabawi that between the membar of the prophet muhammad and his home right that area right that area is a garden of jannah and it is the rolda and that whoever visits it if during the time of the prophet or today it is they are guaranteed that she found the intercession of the messenger of allah uh, in on yom in yom right on the last day and that is a that's like a guarantee that they are going to have the intercession of the prophet in front of allah uh, to actually help them in terms of addressing their deeds, right? Like basically, if the Prophet intervenes for you, then you, inshallah, bi Rabbi, have your ticket into Jannah, right? And that whoever prays to Raka'at there, right? Whoever prays to Raka'at there in the Rolda, in that place that's between the member of the Messenger of Allah and his home, right? That whoever prays to Raka'at there, that Jannah is far for them. Right, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is guaranteeing that they are going to be amongst those who enter into paradise. SubhanAllah. I want us to look at that Allah Azza wa Jal on the out on the outside seems to only be bringing the Prophet Muhammad to Medina, but in reality, right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also bringing a portion of Mecca, right? to Medina and he's bringing a portion of Jannah into Medina that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is honoring, honoring Yathrib and making it the beloved city that we know of today, subhanAllah. And let's look at, uh, you know, we talked about this in terms of the things that are blessed, right? And Allah has put blessing in time, in places, and in people. And clearly Allah has honored the Prophet ﷺ to be the most blessed of all of creation. Allah honors the place, right? By making it a place of blessing. But what happens in those early days of the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ? Because the, the Muslims have taken quite a bit of uh, they have they have transformed quite a bit right of what's happening uh in their lives like one of the first things that that happens of course many of them previously had migrated to abyssinia and we talked about in some of the earlier lessons that's a that's a huge uh, change and transformation and mental expansion and expansion of the heart because to move to Abyssinia where they learned actually a system of governance that did not exist inside of Mecca at the time. It did not exist inside the Arabian Peninsula. The way the, of a civil government that existed inside of Abyssinia that they're bringing that kind of experience into Medina 
right? Because of having lived under King Nagashi and seen literally how Shura happens on a on like a Congress or a council or a parliamentary level, when they're seeing that on a governmental level, how that becomes implemented is becomes huge, uh, has a huge impact on the development of Medina. And then you know, that would be on a on a government standpoint. Yeah, you know, if we were looking at it just uh, on the brotherly standpoint, another aspect that exists is that so they have literally the colorism and the classism and the uh, status based upon economics. This has literally been rubbed out of their hearts uh, for those who migrated into Abyssinia because those same kind of classism uh, and you know colorism and let's say ethno ethnocentrism that existed inside of Mecca does not exist in the same does not exist uh, in, in that sense of course inside of Abyssinia right and so if you've come from a culture where you 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 judge or you pride yourself or judge other people based upon upon your ethnic background or based upon your tribal background or based upon your that subhanallah to then go into a country where that's not the case the people that you've been looking down upon you're now going to look up to them if you were looking down upon the abyssinians because of feeling that the Ottomans were superior to them now they the muslims actually had to seek refuge right in Abyssinia, they had to seek political asylum in Abyssinia. So that's going to create a deep sense of humility. In addition to at this point, it's almost 13 years uh, into like from the beginning, from the first, uh, the first um, permission to migrate in, into Abyssinia. So even Jafar, right, Ibn, Ibn Abi Talib, he is completely transformed right he's completely transformed in terms of the like how they have absorbed so much of the culture of abyssinia that when they arrive into medina the the so much of that cross pollination right of culture has occurred right and we we begin to definitely see this uh you know even in some of the the more southern parts of the arabian peninsula as the red sea becomes more narrow between yemen and east africa and the somalia sudan region like that culture has become so blended right um east africa and and arab culture have become so blended until they're almost a new people they're much more cosmopolitan people that have a deeper respect admiration uh for each other right in addition to they have a more uh they have a higher appreciation for what one offers to to the foundational contribution of society right civilization world civilization and so when they bring that kind of appreciation that uh you know that kind of um relinquishing the hardcore need that it's that I am superior, my tribe is superior, my culture is superior. When you begin to relinquish that because you're able to be a firsthand witness to the greatness and the wonder and the peace of another civilization, you bring that uh, fresh set of eyes to the brotherhood, right? To the sisterhood. You bring that to the community, right? You're not coming in with that same ethnocentrism, that same colorism, 
uh, that same arrogance of looking down upon other uh, groups of people, swaths of people, right? And so this is what happens in Medina, right? That those who come from Abyssinia are bringing a new, a new peace, a new type of peace, a new mind, a new understanding. And so when they meet, when the Ansar meet the Muhajirin, they are able to bond, right? In a way that would have been much more difficult had they come straight from Mecca, right? And so they bring those bonds and the Prophet spends the next few months as Masjid al-Quba is being built, even in that physical project of building, they're uh, the Prophet is building the relationships right between them. He is literally joining them as brothers and sisters. That subhanAllah, they are sharing in each other's wealth, right? They are sharing, especially because when the Muhajirin come to Mecca, they have lost their homes. They have, the Quraysh have taken over their homes, have taken over their property. So what they come with is as much as they could carry just on their camels, on their donkeys, on their mules, or the clothes on their back. That's what they come to Medina with, right? And the Muhajirun are, have, have promised a type of brotherhood that we, whatever we eat, we share with you. We share the same plates. Right? What clothes we have, we share with you. What business we have, we open it to you. And so this begins uh, the tight bonds and they begin to learn from each other as the Prophet literally uh, pairs them up right, in groups based upon skill set and upon interest. So those who are more advanced as it, re as it relates to finances who have this particular skill, they're now going to, uh, you know, though they're going to be connected to entrepreneurs entrepreneurs and you know those who are who are uh, businessmen and merchants and tradesmen that they're going to uh you know learn about that for those who are going to be more responsible in terms of the agriculture and and the growing of the food and carrying of crops and things like that for the community they're going to be joined up right and so the prophet is literally just putting them together and they're working together to build uh, their first masjid in their first home. Now, the downside of Medina at this particular time is that it's literally filled with swamps. It's literally filled with swamps, right? And so one of the first orders of the Prophet them and the job to the Ansar and the Muhajireen were to fill in the swamps, right? Because the swamps were actually uh, causing a great, uh, were causing quite a bit of sickness. That malaria was rapid. Malaria and fever was actually rampant inside of Medina. SubhanAllah, the, uh, some of the early companions who were with the Prophet in Mecca were completely miserable. In those first in those first few months when they entered into Medina, they literally wrote poetry about it, right? How how the air was different, the climate is different, the temper, and therefore, of course, the temperament of the people are different than it was in Mecca, right? Than it was there. And so there's a deep adjustment, right? They're homesick. They're homesick. And so if you can imagine trying to, this was the, the greatest feat in the building of the great city of Medina was for the building of this 
love between the Muhajirun and the Ansar, like how they were able to, to comfort them, right? And how to the point that Medina became their home. That once they were so homesick for Mecca, that even after Fatah Mecca, years, years down the road, and you know, I won't jump too far ahead, but even after Mecca becomes open to them, later on, many of them never return back to Mecca as permanent residents. Either they remain inside Medina, because now Medina is their home, or they actually go and give dawah and pass away in other lands, in Syria and Spain and Turkey and Kenya and, and other parts of East Africa. So subhanAllah, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing them in so many ways for the greater mission of Islam. He's taking them out of their comfort zone. Right. And by taking them out of their comfort zone, as well as their over attachment to culture, this is what's happening. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, de is detaching them away from their culture, saying your culture is not the only way. It, your culture is not the definition of righteousness. Right? Your definition of political governance is not the only way. It's not the only right way. Your definitions of uh, you know, who, who's on top because of ethnicity or tribe, that these are not the most important things. What's going to join your hearts as believers is la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And subhanAllah, these beautiful days, these first few months, that first year of, of Medina is really brick by brick, them building and establishing, and then later on having to defend the city. We'll get there, right? Defend their city. But first, they are learning what it means to love for the sake of Allah, right? They are learning what it means to be brothers and sisters and to be family for the sake of Allah. And this is what our beloved Messenger of Allah, his greatest contribution to us as Uswat al-Hasana, his greatest contribution to us as the Khuluqul Alim, is how do we build community? How do we build, how do we invest in people? This is his greatest leadership quality, is that he taught us that, this, that all of the spiritual things, the spiritual practices that we have about detachment and about, uh, you know, not becoming so ethnocentric or not, you know, getting away from arrogance into humility, that these, these, you know, migrations of the soul ultimately are about so that we can build a love that's based on, that's a love for Allah. I love for Allah and His Messenger. We thank you so much for our beloved Messenger of Allah in his way. We thank you for the peace that he taught us to, to instill in our own lives. We thank you for how what he taught us about you, Ya Arhamur Rahimin. Oh Allah, we thank you for our beloved Messenger of Allah who taught us about suhbah and companionship and having good character and how to build community, Ya Rabbi. Allow us to follow in his footsteps with excellence. Allow us to implement his qualities and to implement his teachings in a way that we may find happiness in this dunya or the akhirah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilana anta astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.
Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'lifcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.